We'll go ahead and get started. We might have a couple others trickle in. Back in September, just as the school year was getting underway, about a dozen seniors at Central High School showed up for an information session in the Career Pathways Center, a large room decorated with banners from colleges around the country. Make sure you sign in on the iPad if you haven't yet. It was led by Tori Park, a career and college readiness coordinator. And today our session is about building your college list, so figuring out where you want to apply. And the focus this day was on helping students figure out which of the 3,000 or so U.S. colleges that they want to send an application to. This is a public high school in the heart of St. Paul, Minnesota, not too far from where I live. And I've been making visits here throughout the school year to get a sense of how high school students today view higher education and how they're weighing the choice of whether or not to even go to college. Park's message to these students was that they should balance two main factors as they decided where to apply. Looking for the right fit, weighing details like the size of the college, how far it is from their home, and whether it has the programs that they're interested in. And also whether it's the right match, meaning whether the student has the academic qualifications that the college is looking for. The goal, she says, is to find colleges that are the right fit and the right match. My recommendation is that students typically apply to around seven schools. That'll give you a nice range of target, safety, and reach schools, right? Park asked the students to take out their school-issued iPads and to open an app the school uses called Zello that can show students a list of college options after they enter these fit factors. As Park walked around the room answering questions, I talked with one of these students, Jamal Williams. He is 17 years old, and he says he's looking for a college with good programs in the arts. And one thing struck him right away as he clicked through these colleges the app was suggesting. And that factor was the cost. I didn't realize how yeah, so expensive like colleges can be until I clicked like some of these. Like, this, is, this is roughly like, 40K a year, huh? Yeah. How does it make, what does that make you think? And then what would be the um, I won't be able to afford that if I can't, like, get some sort of financial aid. The students who showed up for this session all plan to apply to college. But that doesn't mean they're totally sold on going. I remember applying to college back a long time ago and being totally consumed by this question of whether the college I wanted to go to would let me in. Whether they would pick me. But in this room... I realize there's another big factor at play for many of these students when it comes to applying for college. Let's call it the doubt factor, the nagging question of whether higher ed is really needed to get the kind of job they hope for after high school. Lily Krieger, a senior here who said she's interested in fashion and business, put it this way. I feel like I will probably do it just for, like, the business side of it and then maybe, like, start something from that. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily know if I need to go to college. I'll probably feel like my parents' sake and, like, just to see what it's like if I like it. Yeah. And then see what happens, I guess. These students have grown up with plenty of messages telling them they should go to college. And this public high school is proud of its strong record of helping students get into college if that's what they want to do. But these students have also grown up hearing plenty of critiques of college. That it's too expensive and maybe not worth it. That it's old-fashioned in how it teaches. And that the material covered is sometimes behind the times. Of Americans in Generation Z, 45% say that a high school diploma is all the education they need. 
And a Gallup poll found that confidence in higher ed has fallen from 57% in 2015 to just 36% last year. And there are more options than ever for students heading out into the real world. And more news reports that some employers, even famous ones like Google, will hire you even if you don't have a college degree. And that has made the choices facing these students a little more complicated. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm an editor and a reporter here at EdSurge. We're a nonprofit newsroom covering innovation in education. This is the second episode of a podcast series we call Doubting College, where we're exploring the questions, what happened to the public belief in college, and how is that impacting the choices young people are making about what to do after high school? I chose Central High School not because it's some hotbed of college doubt. I picked it because it's a pretty typical example of a successful, diverse public high school these days. And to be clear, it's not like folks are suddenly all ditching college. The majority of graduates here are college-bound. But students are viewing their choices a bit differently now. Not long ago, more students headed to a four-year residential college without really knowing what they wanted to major in or do in their career. But these days, more people want to have a game plan before heading to college. So I've been at Central for five years, and even in the the five years that I've been here, there's definitely been a big switch, especially after COVID. That's Ashley Welke, a school counselor at Central. Of the fact that they really are looking at that gap year, really seeing that I want to take this time off. I really want to decide what I want to do because of the expense of going to school. So they want to figure it out before they actually go to school. And I think that is a big thing when it comes to it, um, making those determinations. So we see a lot of students are taking a gap year or they're like, I'm going to go to a two-year school to get my gen eds out of the way so that I can focus on what I want to do next. And so changing that pathway of not going directly into a four-year school has been a big shift in the last, at least the last five years, even just here. And then especially after what happened with COVID. But that's not to say that every high school kid is leaving with some master plan. I think it depends on the student. Some students do really well with like an undecided aspect and like going into college and saying, okay, I'm going to take these 101 courses and see which I really like and then developing into their what next steps they want to do. But we do, we have seen a bigger increase of like, no, I kind of need to know an area that I want to go into when I go into college uh, so that I can be more successful in the next steps and what I'm planning. So I don't take the extra time or the sixth year to get my diploma that it is I'm getting my diploma within those four years. And she says that the sticker shock that students like Jamal experienced earlier at that session is driving a lot of that change. I think that the cost has actually gone up um, and since I've even started as a school counselor. But so it's just meaningfully harder to afford it. Correct. I do think that it has gotten more expensive. And that has changed Ashley Welke's job a bit. I do see that more and more like parents really wanting to know, well, why, what are you doing to help prepare my student to be ready for college? What are you doing to help support them in their next steps of where they're going to be going? And that's where you see the investment of money in more school counselors um, and also in like career pathway centers or career centers to help those students figure out, okay, well, what else can I do? I wanted to talk to some more students. So about a month after that college list meeting, I came back to the Career Pathways Center at Central High. 
but what it really does is it helps admissions get to know you beyond your numbers, right? This time, Tori Park was leading a session about how to write the essay for your college application. I would say after your grades, right, grades being the number one factor that admissions looks at with college, college admissions, essay is like the second most important thing. Um, so I don't say that to like put pressure on you or like make you nervous about the essay. I say it just because it is important and it is something you should spend time on. So I'm glad you're here so that we can work on that together. I figured this would be a way for me to catch students as they try to articulate why they wanted to go to college, if they did. The session left time for students to work on drafting their essays. And while they were working, I talked with a few students. One of them was Atticus James, a senior who has only recently come around to the idea of applying to college. I wanted to go to trade school for a long time just because of how much like better of a financial decision it probably is. Mm, as far as the... How do you think about that financial decision when you think of trade school? Like, Why is that better in your view? Uh, well, it's... You graduate, you know, 100% job placement with, sure, like, up to six figures. Um, Without having job. to risk going to yeah. paying money and not working. Yeah, no, people usually don't graduate with debt, and, like, you get all these crazy, like, benefits, like, with tool companies and all that. But as I kind of just realized more and more, like, what my passions were and all that, um, I realized that, like, the kind of the more social and like creative I think life path that college would offer up is something I'm more interested in than like just a purely like work until I die type of mentality. He's hoping that college will let him do something more creative with his career. Right now I'm thinking of studying journalism. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. Because I love writing and I like I'm really, like, I care a lot about a lot of things and that are happening in the world or whatever, so I feel like mm. more voices that are, like, just uh, unbiased or whatever is valuable and it's something I care about. And I'm big into music as well, so, like, right. my dream would be, like, like, being in a band and being able to financially support myself that way, but that's, like, one in a million. So yeah. Just, I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. But that's your that'd be your top choice. Yeah, top choice. Yeah. And then, I don't know, just something I can like feel like I'm actually making a difference or like contributing rather than I don't know, just being another another cog in the machine or whatever. So what does he plan to write his essay about? I'm definitely gonna put in like I bought this car, like a really old car. Um, and I thought like well I kinda I didn't know much about cars at the time, but I just knew it was really cool, so I was like kind of blinded. Yeah. And then it, like, fell apart on the drive home. So I've spent, after, As you bought it. Like, yeah, right after, yeah. Okay. So I just, over the last year, I've learned so much and, like, spent so much time because I'm trying to, like, DIY it and do everything myself and pretty much just learned everything I know about, like, cars and, like, gained the skills to be able to fix pretty much anything. And, what mean, kind of yeah, car is it? It's a Nissan 300ZX 1988. What color? It's red. Okay, so that's pretty rad. Yeah, it's dope. So. How have you learned to do all that fixing up? Um, we have a really good auto program at the school, but oh. it's mostly just been like YouTube videos and stuff. Sure. Are you taking a class that's related to that? Um, not right now, but last year I took Auto Tech 1, which... Yeah? Yeah, the teacher's just great, and he's such a good, like, 
he really is your friend for like cool kids who need help with like stuff like that. So. And what trade school would you do if you, back when you were thinking that was your path? Um, I was gonna do electrician. Probably. Sure. Um, and I'm done. Woody's great. Like that's right here. But I just I don't know what you want changes. So most of the students I talked to were most passionate about creative work. They seem to spend a lot of time watching TikTok or playing video games or making music. And they love to find a job where they get to do that or something like it. We see that a lot, especially right now with our younger generation that's coming into the building. Um, and like, well, I'm going to be YouTube famous. That's Ashley Welke again, the school counselor at Central we heard from earlier. She says that she hears more of this desire to be a YouTuber from ninth graders. And though she doesn't want to crush anyone's dreams, she wants to make sure students are informed about what it would take to make a living this way. And I was like, okay, but that might be a one time that you get a paycheck. And so really talking about, okay, um, let's look at your finances. Let's look at what it would mean if you only get one check every, what, couple of months, you know, like, and it's only about this. So how much is it going to cost? So really breaking down the aspect of, yeah, that's awesome. I love that you want to have that creative idea. So how do we make that a livable wage? Because that's really what it ultimately comes into, like, do you want to be able to, you want you want to have a cell phone so that you can do these different things and post different things. Do you realize how much it costs to have a cell phone that has unlimited data where you can post stuff? It doesn't matter where you are that you can post things. And then really like breaking down that information so that again, as a parent, you know, being like, okay, my kid really wants to do this crazy job that isn't a nine to five or it doesn't have a, a 401k or associated with it, you know, how can we make that a realization to the students? So really breaking it down to what they really like. Your cell phone, okay, well, how much does it cost? I have no idea. Then let's figure that out. Why don't you find out how much your cell phone costs? See if you can make X amount of money to make that happen. And that message does seem to get through. That was certainly the case for Jamal Williams, the student I met at that earlier info session. I recently got to sit down with him and hear more of his story in depth. What is this sweatshirt you're wearing? I should know the reference. Um, it's it's an anime. It's called Jujutsu Kaisen. It's it's pretty good. It's the character Gojo. He's one of the the mentor figures of the anime or the story. He's passionate about making techno music and designing video games, and he's trying to decide whether it's realistic to do a career in that. He says his parents are all for going to college first, even though neither of them have finished higher ed. His dad went to a local university for a few years, but dropped out. And he's still paying off those student loans. And Jamal is wary of something like that happening to him. I've been researching cases, like recent cases, of people my age or like in my generation doing that. And then they get out of college, they use their degree, and then they still struggle to like make a living for themselves. And I... Kind of, if that's going to happen anyway, I don't really want to like waste four years of time and effort just for that to happen when I could get a kickstart on my career by entering the workforce like right after high school or after like a certificate or something. Meanwhile, he's already in touch with young people through communities online, through things like Discord servers, where he sees people who share his interest following different paths. I have people my age that have the opportunity to make all these like huge games and then they didn't really have to go to college for it. 
and they made it, and they're pretty successful off of it. He started doing coding and music when the pandemic shut everything down early in his high school career. Because it was COVID, it was like 2021, and I was so bored. Because like, (laughs) I I used to be a hardcore gamer, I just game all day, and one day I just got bored, and then I found out about this new game called Friday Night Funkin' that just dropped. And I find out that people are, like, making their own stuff out of it, and it's open source. Yeah. So during that summer, I kind of self-taught myself music and coding to kind of join in. And I'm still kind of learning along the way. But sure. yeah. that, that COVID was the reason why I'm doing music. Friday Night Funkin', this game he's into, is a rhythm game where players have to press the correct arrow key at the right point in a song to tap out the beat. The game allows anyone to make mods, or modifications, where they can design the game to be played with music they've composed, which is what Jamal does. I spend every single day at least, like, three to four hours on it. I have a laptop right there with, like, all of my songs on that laptop. Can you play one of them? Yeah, these are all my song files right here. Okay. Hold on. The song kind of starts like this. Hold on. The beat drops, like, right here. It's pretty long. I refer to this as techno music. But when I asked Jamal to describe it, it was clear he had a more nuanced sense of it from all he's learned in YouTube videos. This is... Well, the genres change throughout the song. Um, I'd say it's like orchestral slash Jersey Club music with a bit of trap at the end. Nice. So part of Jamal's college search is trying to find a school that will help him pursue his dream of doing work that blends coding and music. The school he found that best seems to fit is Berkeley College of Music in Boston. So he applied there. And I asked him how he'd feel if he gets in. Very, very ecstatic. So does that mean he'll go there if accepted? If I had the money, yeah. So money is going to be the issue then. So yeah. hopefully you get in and then the question will be what? Like, how do you see... How, how would I live? Would I be on campus? Would I have my own apartment? How do I even get there? Because flights can be kind of expensive, and my family's kind of low income, so... Yeah. 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 No, it's all very, 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 very real. So um, it would be a conversation with your parents, or do you feel like you have to make it all work on your own? Or? I feel like my, partly my parents, partly my counselor, just to kind of know, um, kind of get more specific in detail in terms of, like, what they're offering me right. when they... Financial aid and that? Yeah. If, cause if room and if room and board is covered, I'm it's it's easy, but if it's not covered, then that's like a whole different conversation that I would need to do some planning for. He's applied for other schools as well. He submitted a common application that submitted his application to a group of HBCUs, and he's using a service through his high school called QuestBridge, which is a nonprofit that helps low-income and first-generation students apply to college. QuestBridge just kind of sent an application to all, like, nearby uh, Minnesota colleges. Okay. And the ones that actually reached back and were interested were Concordia, 
Um, U of M, I, for, I forget. Not not the one in St. Paul. Uh-huh. I, I'm, one of the U of M campuses. Yeah. Was it was it like maybe Duluth or something in another I, Oh, town? yeah. Yeah, Duluth. Okay. So it was Concordia. Yeah. It was Duluth. It was Manchester. Is Wait, was it Manchester? McAllister, sorry. Oh, <laughs> That's right here in town. One surprising thing I learned about Jamal, though, was that he actually has a jump on starting college. In fact, through a program at Central, Jamal spends half his school days taking college classes at a nearby two-year college. That's right, he's already getting college credit. I'm at Central at 8.30 to about 12.45, and then from there my bus comes and takes me to college, and then I have a class that starts at 1 and ends at 2.20. What's that class right now? Yeah. Um, one of them was Intro to Special Education, where I learned how to teach students in the special education sense. I also learned about the history of it mm-hmm. and kind of teaching methods that we could do to improve general classes as well for, you know, every single type of learner. And then my second class was careers in criminal justice, where in that I kind of did like a deep dive. Um, for the entire class, it was really just a deep dive on, on the different careers that um, law enforcement has and criminal justice and kind of like just research. I noticed that none of these classes were in coding or video game design. He said the college program doesn't have classes in those areas. But he's realizing he may end up getting a day job in something like teaching and pursuing his coding and music as a side hustle. Taking college classes during high school was something he sort of fell into, thanks to an advisor at Central. I kind of found out about it like on a whim last year. Like I I applied around this time and it started like two weeks from now. Mm. So... I found out through recommendation of m- one of my counselors, Miss Panko, and and she was like, "Hey Jamal, um, do you do you want a challenge for yourself?" And I was like, "Yeah," because I'm kind of sick and tired of regular high school. Is there any opportunities I can get like outside? Yeah. And she was like, "Sure. Um, are you interested in going to college?" And I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and then she led me to Miss um, Susan, which you just saw in the room. And she helped me kind of hook up with um, some of the staff and faculty at the college to get me started and um, enroll me in some classes. I was curious to find out more about this program, which is known as a PSEO, and it's a model growing around the country. Post-secondary education opportunity is what PSEO stands for. And so it is the opportunity that students can actually take courses at a collegiate level. They have to apply as a PSEO student. And then um, the school districts cover the costs for them to actually go. So they can actually take like their English class, um, an English communications class at a college and it would count for our English 11 or English 12 classes here at the high school. And then we cover the... Minnesota Department of Ed has a whole thing on it where they'll cover, like, um, books and transportation, a portion of transportation and whatnot. And then we still, at the school, would still have spots for students to come. So if they would need to have Wi-Fi access to complete homework and whatnot, we have a spot for them to come into our building during their days that they don't have class. So they still have that support in that aspect, too. Just how big is this program at Central? So we have about 120 kids that are actually doing it. Out of um, how many eligible? Out of so how many you can actually, so actually it goes through, that's 
so 10th graders all the way through 12th graders can take it. 10th graders can only take a particular kind of class, so there has to be a career and technical education course. Okay. Um, but then 11th and 12th graders can take the concurrent classes that will count for high school credit and also college credit. And so between the two grades, we have about 120 or so. And it, it ebbs and flows every year. Um, it seems that we do have an increase right now of students who wanting to do that as an option so that they can get some of those credits out of the way. I mean, you can graduate high school with an associate's degree and not ever have to necessarily pay for college and still have a good paying job by doing these kind of types of programs. For folks who are going to college, more students these days are seeing community colleges as a serious option to consider, especially compared to before COVID. So I think we have a higher number of percentage who apply to two-year mm -hmm. until they figure out if they can financially afford a four-year. Right. So I think that our percentage of students who are, have a backup school um, is definitely higher. So we're looking at probably like 30% that have a two-year school that are applying to where it used to be closer in the teens, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost so, doubled. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to a two-year school. I think that they are realizing that they need to have a better plan laid out because they, COVID really shook everybody up, right? And so they, especially the generation right now, is like, okay, well, yeah, I might want to go to California to, a, you know, this wonderful Caltech or wherever I want to go, right? But I still need to make sure I have, like, this homeschool that just in case that doesn't work out, I know I have a, I have a backup plan. Like, my parents got sick or COVID, like, some major disaster happens, right? And you see more of that now, and that's where that 30%. I do think we're closer to about 20% of our, of our students here are going to a two-year school. So 20% of them are going to two-year school, and then we've got about... Mm, 60% that are going to a four-year school. And then we have that 20, that other little bit of, our other 20% that is either world of work, military, right? So they're kind of split between each of those little areas, that other 20%. So what about these narratives out there that college is a scam or that it's not worth it? So that narrative's out there, and those students typically don't go to college because that's what their parents' narrative are. So our students still really listen to our, to their family and their narrative from their family. Like, you're going to a four-year school. You, you know, that's your option. And then then we really try to dive into more of like, well, what do they want to do? Is a four-year school really the best thing for your student? You know, like, so I think that, yes, that narrative's out there. Yes, there are a lot of jobs now that you don't need a college degree, but there are a lot of jobs that you do. Like, you, I'm sorry, you don't want a school counselor without a master's degree. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want a doctor who's never performed surgery or do you know what I mean like I think that I think it really depends on what the student wants to do and really listening to them but there are a lot of students who you know fashion design yes there are great schools out there for fashion design but if you have this different gift and knack you can see that there's people out there who don't have a degree right there's also people who don't have a degree who are authors and but there are a lot of people who are authors that have degrees you know what i mean so i think it really just kind of depends on what they're interested in and i'm degree to me is anything from like apprenticeship or licensure or anything like that so i'm those people who a lot of people don't agree with that statement, though, that you don't need a college degree um, or but a construction worker has training and 
a lot of training before they can be a construction worker. They, you know what I mean? There's a lot of training for electricians and all, they, you know, all the metal work and the, all of the trades that are out there. Sure. And those people have a license. To me, it's just as, I mean, they continue in ad, continuing ed, a lot of them, whereas a lot of professional degrees that you have a master's degree, they don't have to have continuing ed, right? You get your degree, you're good, good luck, and the rest, you know, you're going to make up, you know, however you see fit. Whereas, like, trades, they still have to go through and have training for the rest of their lives to maintain their licensure and different things. So I think those people have a degree in a way, too, whereas there are people who say, well, you don't need a degree or that's it's a scam. Well, what is their, what do they, what do they see as a degree versus what is a scam to them. So I think it really is just talking to the student and, and getting to know what they need and helping them have their own voice, the student, not necessarily the family who wants to drive them to a different area, right? Our first episode in this podcast series explored the Teal Fellowship, the program started by billionaire Peter Teal more than a decade ago that pays $100,000 each to 20 young people a year not to go to college. You should check that out if you missed it. We looked at how that program played a role in bringing a hyper-skeptical view of college into the mainstream. None of the students here that I talked to had heard of the Teal Fellowship. And Tori Park, the counselor who's been leading those info sessions, points out that data continues to show the economic payoffs of college. The people who are suggesting that students shouldn't go to college are typically wealthy and white, right? And so there are certain type of people that have access to other things that are going to support them along their, their journey, right? And so compared to students who have been un- underserved, having access to education is really critical in um, solidifying their future and what they want their future to look like. So not going to college, it can be a benefit for certain groups and other groups. It might not be beneficial. Yeah. It's like you can afford not to because you have connections. Exactly. The conversation is different for students at private schools, where the default still seems to be going to a four-year college. At least that's true at Woodside Priory School, a Catholic high school near Silicon Valley. As a college counselor at that school, Nathan Mathabane explains, college prep is core to the school's mission. So there's not much doubt about going to college. It, it, maybe it's because the, the parents in our community are all college educated. Um, yeah. All of yeah. the faculty and people just who work in the community are all college educated. So it's it's definitely very much still like a valued degree, maybe based on personal what it did for me, you know, what it did for insert person here. But even at this private school, he hears occasional questions about the rising cost of higher ed. I coach cross country, so I hear the guys talk when when they're on their runs. And there is some anecdotal conversation around the value of college. But at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, everybody is kind of like looking toward that that four-year degree. I, I, yeah. So we'll see. I, I, I do think we're at a very interesting moment in the history of higher education where I have a student, I have a school that came through to visit where the tuition and cost of attendance is going to be $88,000 per year next year in terms of total cost of attendance. But the estimated, I think, earnings for their graduates are going to be about 70000 in their entry level job after they get that degree. And that just feels like that feels like a big delta. I don't know what it was like in the 80s and 90s, but that feels like the amount of time it would take for you to save 88 times four 
with a salary that's maybe $80,000, it's going to take a long time to make that degree worth it, depending on how you look at education. So that is a that is a point in higher education that I think we're, we are at right now. And I'm curious to see how that part of it plays out. One takeaway I was really left with is that students may still want to go to college, but the rising cost has hit a point where people just have to be smarter about it to possibly make it work. In our next episode, we'll look at the many other options that high school students have these days, other than higher ed. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week we dive into big issues facing education. If you like the show, please follow the Ed Surge Podcast wherever you listen. And please tell a friend about the show or share this out on social media. If you didn't hear it yet, you should check out the first episode of this series, which ran on this feed a couple weeks ago. The episode was called How a Billionaire's Fellowship Spread Skepticism About College's Value. This episode was reported and put together by me, Jeff Young, and you can find me on x at jryoung or on the web at jeffyoung.net. Thanks to the folks at Central High School and to all the students who took the time to talk to me. There were several conversations that I did not get a chance to use here, but they all did help me understand this issue. Story editing this episode by Rebecca Koenig and music by Blue Dot Sessions. Except the song you're hearing now is courtesy of one of the students interviewed in the episode, Jamal Williams. I'm happy to note that we'll be talking about the issues raised in this podcast series and going deeper into these issues during a live taping of the Ed Surge podcast during the South by Southwest EDU Festival next month down in Austin. If you're going to be at the event, I hope you'll join us. And don't worry, we will share that on the feed here as well. We'll be back next week with another regular episode of the Ed Surge podcast. Thanks for listening.